Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, the Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA. Thank you for joining us today. We are excited and blessed to have uh, Vincent Hale and Tiffany Norris with us. Vincent is a music and theater teacher at Our Lady Queen of the Angels School in New York City and also an enrichment team lead at the Partnership Schools in New York City. And Tiffany is a school counselor at Cathedral Catholic High School in San Diego. Both Tiffany and Vincent were participants in the panel that NCA had um, about three or four weeks ago uh, entitled For a Time Like This, which addressed uh, issues of uh, systemic racism and specifically those uh, issues that are really prevalent, obviously, and being talked about a lot in society today and how they impact Catholic schools and how Catholic schools can better address them. So we are blessed and uh, excited to have both Vincent and Tiffany with us. So, Tiffany, let me start with you. I'd love to get a, 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 just a little bit of your background, um, your own education journey uh, as a student, and how you uh, found yourself working uh, at Cathedral uh, High School in San Diego. Thanks for having me. So just a little bit about myself um, as far as uh, background education and, and kind of how I came to uh, be a member of the Cathedral family. Um, I was uh, raised in uh, a family that practiced uh, Catholicism. We uh, went to um, Catholic school as early as kindergarten, all the way through grade 12. And from there, um, I actually played basketball in college. So that was the first time that I was exposed to really like a public school was, was not until college, actually being a part of that community. And I made my way back into um, Christian education as I, I worked towards my master's degree in school counseling. Um, and then through like connections and things like that, um, started out with my own work in education. So um, I spent some time uh, working at, I guess that would be my alma mater in eighth grade, um, being a counselor intern, kind of getting my, my feet wet and then spent a majority of my career working in public education, predominantly um, inner city schools, um, working with uh, students that most of the demographic were African-American students. Um, and my husband and I transitioned to San Diego about six years ago and actually worked out in a public school here before uh, making my way to Cathedral, which um, a good friend of mine um, let me know about the, the position here, and, and that's kind of how I, I ended up at Cathedral. That's great. Tiffany, where are you from originally? Um, I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, great. Okay. Thanks so much for sharing. Uh, Vincent, I know you're also uh, an ACEREMIC leader, so talk a little bit about your, your journey to uh, Our Lady Queen of the Angels and uh, the partnership schools. Yes, yeah, so I'm originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I attended Chattanooga High School Center for Creative Arts, where I was a musical theater major. That's my love, singing, dancing, acting, putting it all together on the stage. So then from there, I originally went to college for elementary education, and midway through, I switched to a, um, a music degree. And I, I, my thought before going into college was I needed something to fall back on if music didn't work out. But then when I was there, I was just like, no, I don't want to fall back playing. Music is all that I ever want to do. So I switched my major back over to performance. And after graduating undergrad, I went on for a master's degree in opera musical theater. Um, 
and it was an amazing experience. I got so many different performance opportunities and just knew that that's what I wanted to do. Loved it. And from there, I went on tour for a year with a company called Poetry Alive. And that's where I kind of got a my foot into education. We went into different schools around the country and we did theatrical performances and then did um, classroom workshops where we taught students how to make a poem into a performance. And so that was my first interaction with students and how the arts can be transformative in their lives. Um, and from there, I knew that I wanted to move to New York City. And I moved and I was praying and praying and praying and praying. I asked God to give me a job with, uh, within my major, uh, within living here for two weeks. Because you know, people get these degrees and then sometimes they don't use them. So I wanted a job that was going to utilize my degrees. And it's all about connections. A girl that went to my undergrad back in Alabama, she is the music teacher at Cristo Rey High School. And so partnership, feed, partnership schools feed into the Cristo Rey Network. And so she inboxed me and asked me if I would be interested in that job. And so that's how I, I started working in Catholic education. I'm not Catholic, but I love that we get to infuse gospel values into our students' education. Um, and from there, I was approached about doing the Marianne Remick Leadership Program through the University of Notre Dame, and I actually graduate this coming Saturday, so very, very excited about that. Um, so that's my journey to education. That's great. I have a daughter who's uh, going to be a, uh, an ACE teacher, so she's graduating this weekend too, Vincent. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Just a quick, uh, quick comment. What attracted you to New York City? You said you really wanted to come to New York City. What was that? A uh, what was that attraction? Was that theater? Yes, most definitely. New York City is like the arts capital of the world. It gets no better than here. So my my original thought was to move here to audition and uh, with sights set on Broadway. Um, but then God kind of, not kind of, God changed that story and <laughs> put me in education. I, I couldn't be happier. Well, thanks. Those are great stories. Appreciate that from both of you. Um, obviously, you know, the murder of George Floyd, I think, is what really got everything kind of started. Um, this conversation that we've been having now for um, really the last month and um, not just conversation, but reflection and, 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 um, and kind of processing and thinking about what we can do um, from action steps. Um, something um, Vincent wrote, but I'll ask you, Tiffany, to kind of comment on it, is that, uh, is that initially, at least, it was that idea of to be okay not being okay. And I think of that sometimes when we talk to folks who say it's a, it's a discomforting time or people feel uncomfortable about this. And, and yet, I think that might be what we just need to experience at this period of time. Um, um, and so just wonder what your thoughts are on that idea of being okay not being okay. Yeah, um, Vincent, I'm glad you said that, actually. Um, I think that that, it, actually, I know it definitely resonates with me personally. Um, and I find myself, actually, I was just talking to my husband about this a couple of days ago. I was like, man, it's, I'm still in just like a funk, you know? Like, I, I don't per se want things to get back to normal, but there, I feel like there's just so much work to do. Um, I feel, I feel like there's, there's definitely baby steps. Like, people are, and corporations, businesses, and um, you know the Catholic Church. There's a lot that's happening just in churches in general. Um, I I also am not. Um, 
I'm not Catholic. I, I attend a non-denominational Christian church. And even in my own church, where they're doing things that are addressing this issue. Um, and so um, it feels like there's a lot of things in motion. Um, but just the thought for me personally, I, I have um, two boys, um, African-American sons that my my husband and I are in the process of adopting. So I feel like it, this, I mean, there are a number of cases, you know, that are disheartening that you hear about, but this one in particular, and Ahmaud Aubrey in particular, Breonna Taylor, just more recent, you know, um, Elijah McLean, um, I think about them. And so I think for me, it's been a lot of just processing my own, just personal life. Um, and trying to be honest with them because they see, you know, just um, not even necessarily being a part of our protest, but like driving, you know, through intersections and see people with signs and, and kids even out and, and wondering what's going on. They know that something's different um, along with the pandemic, you know, staying at home and their routine just totally being thrown off and trying to explain to them in a way that is helpful so that they are aware because they, you know, they learn things in school themselves. Um, but just that constant feeling of discomfort, I think I, I definitely, it resonates with me, um, like Vincent said. So, um, and I'm glad that, you know, um, as uncomfortable as it is for me, that other people are also uncomfortable um, and that it's not something that's being swept under the rug because it doesn't, um, directly affect other people. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with friends, coworkers, um, and they're very intentional. They're not just like, you know, surface conversations because I don't, I don't think it can be um, at this point. So it's, it's been good um, communicating with them, helping educate them, but also seeing them uh, do work themselves and get resources and tell me about things that have been really helpful for them. Um, that's encouraging. I think that's really encouraging. So um, I, I do I do agree that there is a feeling of discomfort um, and I'm not sure that it's gonna go away anytime soon, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I, I also believe that um, when God is moving, which is constantly, um, that God uses seemingly like ordinary people like, like George Floyd to um, to bring a message. And this happened to be at a time where we're going through a pandemic, which I, I've never lived through before. So um, it's a time where people are, you know, s sitting and thinking uh, quietly. And, um, you know, we're, we've silenced America for a little bit, the world, not just America, I shouldn't say that. Um, and so that's, that's caused a lot of conversations and, and changes are, are happening. So um, a lot of things that I didn't even think I would see in my own lifetime. So um, I'm just, I'm hopeful, um, but definitely still kind of sitting in that, that discomfort as well. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I think you're right about the world. I was happy to watch a, a little uh, Premier League soccer yesterday from, from England, and they all, they all knelt uh, in solidarity with the Black Lives uh, Matters movement yesterday. And I thought, there's England doing it. And uh, and then I saw NASCAR racers doing the same thing. So it's just amazing how um, how things have shifted. And um, Vincent, I want to come back to you because you talked about uh, in that blog post that the times demand reflection. Um, 
obviously uh, that's absolutely the case. And, and uh, as Tiffany was talking, the need to feel uncomfortable is, is, is necessary probably at this point. But you wrote that back in early, um, early June, and we've had a month, and it's been a pretty unbelievable month um, in terms of what we've seen. Um, talked about NASCAR drivers kneeling. Um, NASCAR's banned uh, the Confederate flag. Mississippi's brought down its state flag that had a Confederate flag symbol. There's been incredible um, things that we've seen happen that, um, that many have talked about as being different. It's different this time, perhaps, than, than other times when we've seen similar movements. So I'm curious about your period of reflection over this last month, because obviously the need to reflect uh, continues. But, but what have you made of the last month and what you've seen? The last month has made me want to be more knowledgeable about what's happening. In the hustle, uh, hustle and bustle, especially of living in New York, you just get so caught up in the day-to-day -day and the schedule and the um, obligations and things like that. And I hadn't been really keeping up to date with current events. And like Tiffany said, um, we're in this pandemic and people are at home and we don't have much to do. So we can't run away from or excuse or dismiss these things because they are like clearly in our face um, and we have to deal with them. And so my time of reflection has been really helpful in just making sure to educate myself on what's actually happening and what has happened so that I can know what I can try to do to inflict some change in systems and policies in the future. Um, and also just like thinking about my own experiences. I, I've been the token black person in a lot of different circles and I hadn't necessarily thought about my role or my actions or thoughts in those experiences. And so this time has allowed me to like extrapolate that and think about, well, oh, this did happen and that made me feel this way, but I didn't address it then. I need to be more vocal about expressing how I feel about certain things in the future so that one, I don't perpetuate those things and others and to the people who are inflicting these microaggressions and things like that and racist policies can change them. That's absolutely uh, right. And I think we've had some great conversations with others. The podcast we did with uh, Raynell Houston and, and uh, Henry Fortier, two superintendents, was really um, enlightening on some of those uh, things that they've seen from their, from their positions um, in terms of just um, insensitivity might not be the right word either, but, but almost uh, just a, a callousness uh, in some people and just calling that out to make sure um, people understand uh, the impact that that can have on others. Um, Tiffany, you have young boys. I, I know you mentioned you're in the process of adoption, uh, and you mentioned before, I, I don't know if you mentioned in the podcast or not, but that they're six and three, I believe, and so, so young, young boys. Um, and um, w one thing I'm, I'm in my conversations uh, with, uh, with African Americans and, uh, um, and even some interactions I've had with colleagues, there's a, there's a um, people in African American families feel the need to teach their student, teach their kids to live above a standard or to, to strive to be even better because you have to be better if you're going to be seen as equal. 
Um, and then we hear the stories, obviously, of, of um, and I say stories because I'm a, a white person, so it doesn't impact me and my family, but, but the stories of talking to your young boys, especially about, you know, if you ever get pulled over by the police and all these things to be prepared for. So uh, with your young boys, how are you and your husband thinking about this uh, in light of what we've seen over the last month uh, in terms of these expectations of how they need to uh, behave or how they need to perform? Um, they're still young, but obviously uh, they'll get old um, quicker quicker than we ever want when uh, when we have kids. So um, have you had conversations with your husband about that? Yeah, so this is, um, I, I think my husband and I are in a, we're in a unique situation, and, and I'll explain what I mean by that um, with them, but also with our own um, relationship and, and our families, kind of. Um, my husband is actually white also, um, and uh, his family makeup is is not just white. He has um, uh, black brothers and sisters as well um, and, and a white sister, so um, he... Um, he has had his eyes open though even in in spite of you know how his his family makeup is and being around my family and being very comfortable around african americans um it's different when it's your kid so um and and as inquisitive as my six-year-old is and the questions that he asks um you can't sugarcoat it because he's gonna ask until he gets <laughs> the answer that he wants and at times thankfully um, we can we can pause on the conversation and, you know, just tell him, you know, that's a really good question. Something we'll talk about when you get a little bit older um, so that he knows that we're going to address, you know, certain things and come back to it. Um, but it, it's maybe just not appropriate for a six year old to know, you know, the details of how, you know, George Floyd died or, you know, things like that. Um, but at the same time, to know that he, he does need to do things a little bit differently than his friends. Um, one of the more, I think, challenging conversations with him um, is that he he understands race, um, and he can't he can't really wrap his mind around. Um, so at school, they learned about Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Martin like before Martin Luther King Jr. Day as as a lead up, and um, he came <clears throat> he came home and he didn't understand how white people could treat black people like that because his daddy is not like that. Um, and so he, he has really just processed and processed through like why someone would do that. Um, and I'm thankful that he doesn't have like a jaded view or perception of, of the entire white community um, because of his dad. So my husband, I feel like has uh, a really important role in their lives, not only as a father, as an adoptive father, but also um, learning. And, and he is also educating himself beyond any, any um, other white person that I know um, to make sure that he's doing the best for them and that he's prepared to have these conversations and talks and things like that. Um, so I'm, I'm incredibly proud of him for, um, um, I think it, it becomes personal just for him, not making it personal. It is personal. Um, and also um, what he's doing to make sure that they feel safe with him 
and, and talking with him and asking questions. And they do, they come up in car rides, questions come up at, you know, the dinner table. They come up while we're playing on the playground. It doesn't matter where we're at. They're going to ask questions. And so we answer them um, and we're honest, you know, kids, kids, um, you know, they have their own, you know, carefree attitudes and lifestyles and things like that. But our kids are are very intelligent and, and smart and, and kind and, you know, all the things that we talk about. Um, and you talked about the empowerment piece with them. Um, you know, they come from a unique situation anyway. So we are all about empowering them. Um, and, uh, you know, we have books that, that we read specifically about African-American children to them um, uh, very regularly. Um, so they know that there's there's differences, but it's okay to be different. Um, and with that, making sure that they're proud of who they are. Um, they read their mirror every morning. Their, their mirror says, I am handsome, I am smart, I am fly, I'm kind, I'm a child of God. They read it every day. Um, and they'll say that throughout the day. Um, and we remind them of that. So, um, <clears throat> but also at the same time, just like, at the end of the day, as, as frustrated and um, upset as we are with things that happen in society, we make sure that they understand that um, as Christians, because um, our oldest actually was recently baptized um, last weekend, actually, he, he asked to be baptized. So um, we remind them that loving others comes before anything, even though you may feel like you're a million steps, steps behind. Um, or you don't you don't feel like things are fair or equal or things like that you know we we make sure that they they turn to God um, so yes we do have those conversations with them yes they do know that um, racism is a thing they know what Black Lives Matter means um, you know we we have a lot of seemingly mature conversations for a three and six year old but that's where we're at in the world so um, we don't really have the ability to to skirt around it when they see it and they they have an awareness of of what's going on so um i, I think it's a day-to-day -day kind of thing with them but they they're definitely educated and informed well, just tiffany thank you so much for sharing all that that's a it's such a powerful witness and um obviously such a um uh, dynamic family situation and all the different pieces of it so it's uh it's a beautiful witness and um and really grateful for for sharing that um vincent um i'm curious uh you had made a comment about um in the past that you've experienced being kind of the token black person you know in different circumstances um and you know we're at this time now and, and nca uh, you know, we're obviously talking uh, a lot about these issues and, and what we continually try to say is we want to put the words to action. We want to really start to do do something with this that we don't want to simply just talk. Um, um, and so how how would you advise like NCEA or, or any organization that wants to move beyond just having conversation or doing podcast or a panel? You know, what can we do to really start um, making some of these things more actionable. Um, you know, what, what obviously society is moving in its direction with police reform and bringing down statues and those things. But what can an organization like NCA do maybe that's, that's more tangible? I think that we need more diversity in our companies, especially in our schools, in leadership. 
because black people have these thoughts, they have opinions, they have skills, they're qualified. However, a lot of us don't have the, the platform to share. And so I think that it's great that NCA is, is providing all these opportunities for uh, to hear different voices. And I think that we need to do that on a more structural level, um, specifically in schools. Like, and, and it comes down to the, the funding that goes into schools as well. Um, schools in predominantly black and brown communities just are under-resourced. So we need the money, we need the qualified individuals who look like their students that they're serving, um, who share those experiences to be able to impact the, um, the quality of the experiences that happen within those schools and those different organizations. Does that answer that question? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I think that's right. And um, those are the conversations we've started to have, too, about how do we um, how do we get to the employment piece? Right. I think that's the that's the right question to ask until we have leadership um, uh, that's reflective of, of communities where where um, schools are serving. I think that's the right focus that we should have. So that's great. Um, Tiffany, I, I noticed I was looking through some of your background for the podcast, and you were uh, you were a journalism major, I think, before you went into counseling. And I'm I'm curious about that journalism background as you as you look at some of these issues and and how media covers um, what's going on. And how would you uh, how would you look at that landscape? Do you have any comments on that in, in terms of uh, positive or negative uh, in terms of what the media uh, can do with these issues? So what's interesting is um, the reason that I kind of got out of that field of work. I, I, well, I really felt called to work with children. Um, I've always felt that way. Um, but I felt like the, the radio and TV stations that I was working at at the time, <clears throat> I feel like it, it was starting to get too negative, which is funny because that was like years ago. Um, I wonder what I would be like now if I was doing that. I'd probably be super overwhelmed. But um, that was really my main reasoning. I felt like I was using, you know, gifts that God gave me, but it wasn't what I was called to do, if that makes sense. So um, that's when I went back to school to get my master's in, um, in school counseling. So um, I think it, it's hard to, to say, you know, what, who or which, you know, stations or news channels and things like that are the most credible. Um, I think people, you, you can only control so much of, you know, they're going to read or listen to what they, they feel most comfortable with, I guess. Um, but I do feel like at times, you know, if there's, there's certain websites that you go to or news sources and things like that, they, they do, there, there is like a shift towards like certain topics and things like that, or the way that things are worded or headlines that like grab your attention and things like that. So, um, but, um, I don't, I don't too much get into what, like, I don't know, media outlet to go to versus like looking up information to get actual facts, if that makes sense. I'd rather have like the factual details if I'm going to look something up versus like an er interpretation of something that happened. Um, 
but just from my personal experience in, in social media, it was it also, or not social media, sorry, just media in general, it felt like it was more about being the first to get the news story out or, you know, having the top ratings and things like that. And I was, I'm, that's just not my jam. So um, I'm more about youth and, and things like that. So that's kind of how I ended up in counseling. Um, but I, I don't know that I choose like one media outlet over the other. I, I kind of just like, I think it's a good way to get a general idea of things that are going on. Um, but then to kind of do a bit more research to to figure out actual details. Yeah, I think it's a tough field. I think you're right to say it's it's so hard to even think about it in terms of just media or just because there's so many different perspectives and views. Um, Vincent, um, in your in your blog post, you talked about a revival to turn the country on its head, um, and then you talked about problems are resolved in dialogue. And so I'm curious about the dialogue you're continuing to have. Uh, obviously, we're talking today, but but in your friendships, in your colleagues at work, um, colleagues at Notre Dame for your master's program, what what kind of dialogue are you having? And are, do you feel like that revival that's necessary um, that you're seeing it in your personal interactions when you uh, when you talk with colleagues and friends? Yeah, I've we've been. Um introduced to so many different books and literature to read to help with these conversations that we're having. So right now I'm actually participating in a book club on the, um, the book, How to Be Anti-Racist. And it's just a, an amazing um, piece about either, there's, there's no gray area, either it's something is racist or it's anti-racist. It's for this policy or it's against this policy. And it's a great way to, um, to ground our thoughts and this is a way for everybody to think how their thoughts their actions play a part into the systemic racism that's going on um and i think that we need to have we need to be open to acknowledging where we have fallen short and that's going to be different from everybody where I have fallen short is different from where Tiffany has fallen short. You know what I mean? It's different from a white person has fallen short. And I think that it's going to take the ownership of our lived experiences and being comfortable enough to share those and also being comfortable enough to share when something does not sit well with us. Like we don't have to, like the, the, the Bible says that for us to turn the other cheek and that's a, a strong move, you know what I mean? But we don't, Jesus also flipped tables, you know, when things weren't going right. So we have to be able to acknowledge when something isn't right and stand up for it. Like God is a God of justice and we are his hands and feet on earth. So we have to be able to, to see something, acknowledge it, and then speak on it. And then those, those words call us to action after that. Um, so the conversations that I'm having is acknowledging when we are in certain experiences or situations that are not right and calling it out. Amen to that. Thanks, Vincent. Um, well, we're at, uh, at our time here. Um, any final thoughts, Tiffany, as we, uh, as we close this out, anything I haven't asked or something you'd want to share with, uh, with those listening? Um, I just, I really like what Vincent just said and calling things out. I, I'm learning more about myself, I think in, in all of this, um, I've had 
you know, my own thoughts and feelings and things like that. And I feel like I've been pretty just calm in conversations in the past with people um, when they're, you know, questioning things. And But it's never gone super deep. It's always just kind of pretty surface. And I feel like this is my opportunity to really you know, make those conversations meaningful and, and give people takeaways to like just sit and think for a second and then take action. I think a lot of it has just been conversations in the past that haven't really gone anywhere. And I feel like now, uh, much like Vincent with his, you know, his book that he's reading is, you know, we're, let's take action with people now um, and not just sit in those feelings. So um, I think that that probably would be the biggest takeaway now is to make sure that we continue these conversations and um, with, you know, in love, but also um, be prepared to take action with with or, you know, letting other people venture on their own to, to find resources and things like that. That's beautiful. Thanks, Tiffany. Vincent, do you have any uh, final thoughts to share? Yes, I'm, I'm so happy with what Tiffany just said and having these conversations rooted in love because there's going, like we mentioned before, there's going to be so much tension. And tension is okay. That's not a bad thing. But I've, I've come to understand and know that people can receive anything that we have to say when we present it in a, uh, in a manner steeped in love. You know, um, nobody is going to take well to a conversation that's berating them over the head or accusatory or anything like that so when we're engaging in these conversations we have to always imply empathy i mean implement empathy and to always root it in love for the human dignity in every person that's great uh well tiffany and vincent um thank you thank you for uh your sharing today thank you for your witness for your vulnerability for for sharing um, with those who are listening. Uh, It's powerful. Uh, Again, as we've said at NCA from the start of this, that we want to continue to have these conversations, but we really want to turn these conversations into actions that will uh, will make um, long-lasting, uh, sustained change. And, uh, and I know both of you have contributed to that journey that we're all on uh, to make a more just society, a more just church, more just Catholic schools. Um, and we are, we are grateful to both of you for, uh, for your time. Um, so that wraps it up for NCA Podcast for this week. I'm Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you next time. 